Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the city of Lagos and beyond renewed by the gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, church. Today's reading is taken from the book of Ezra, chapter 9, verses 1 to 15. At the end of the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed. I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword and captivity, to pillage and humiliation at the hand of foreign kings as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Though we are slaves, our God has not forsaken us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us new life to rebuild the house of our God and repair its ruins. And he has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. But now, our God, what can we say after this? For we have forsaken the commands you gave through your servants, the prophets, when you said, the land you are entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its peoples. 
by their detestable practices. They have filled it with their impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an everlasting inheritance. What has happened to us is as a result of our evil deeds and our great guilt, and yet, our God, you have punished us less than our sins deserved and have given us a remnant like this. Shall we then break your commands again and intermarry with the peoples who commit such detestable practices? Would you not be angry enough with us to destroy us, leaving us no remnant or survivor? Lord, the God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. This is the word of the Lord. That certainly deserved a round of applause. Can we just um, ask that the one who wrote those words will breathe his life upon us this morning? Psalm 119 and the 130th verse says, The entrance or the unfolding of your word brings light, it gives understanding to the simple. And the simple there is talking about people who are bold enough to say, God, I'm not much. I need your word. Can we just ask that the Lord will give us his word this morning? Maybe some of you have come with heavy hearts and, and maybe the direction of the sermon is not actually what you're thinking about. Maybe your life is in sort of a crisis or you are confused. Ask that God will give you something. Ask that there will be a tangible evidence that you have met with him. When Elisha was walking with Elijah and was heading for the Jordan, people were telling him, guy, don't follow, this thing is useless. But when he was on his way back, there was something he had to show. I contacted God, I contacted grace. Ask that it would be the same for you this morning. Lord, the 25th verse of that psalm says that my soul clings to the dust. Oh, give me life according to your word. God, give us life. Better than anything Emmanuel can say. Better than anything, Lord, anyone can say. Give us life. And let this be a moment, Lord, where we fellowship with you and encounter you, Lord, in all of your manifold wisdom and riches. Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here who hasn't come in contact with the grace of Jesus in the gospel, Lord, we ask that you draw them to yourself this morning. If there are any backsliders, Lord, we ask that you bring them home. If there are any believers that need strengthening, Lord, we ask that you strengthen the feeble needs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. You're welcome to City Church if this is your first time. My name is Emmanuel. If we haven't met before... Um, I'd love to meet you after the service. 
Um, we have been in a series, like Pastor Femi mentioned, in the book of Ezra. And we have been going through that for a couple of weeks. Now we are slowly making our way towards the end. Like they say, all good things come to an end. And so we are slowly making our way towards the end. And what we've been seeing, because we've titled this series, The Gracious Turnaround, is that God can turn things around. See, the people of Israel were in captivity in Babylon. And, you know, it seemed like they had come to the end of their ropes. And so God graciously orchestrated a turnaround of that circumstance through a prophetic word that was given many years earlier that was then fulfilled in the current time, but then that also had people in the present time who acted out God's purposes for that particular time. And we are praying and we've been hoping that God will use this series to turn around things in your life and in your circumstances that need a turnaround in Jesus' name. And so we are slowly making our way towards the end and we come to chapter 9 where we are today. I don't know if you've ever been disappointed. Like, not the kind where you tell someone, we're going out at 4.30 and then they, they are ready at 5.30, not that kind. The kind where you're actively looking forward to something and the, the thing doesn't live up to the expectation. Maybe some of you were booking your honeymoon, right? And you saw this destination, whispering, now nah, I won't mention. <laughs> and you saw this destination and it didn't live up to the expectation. I have been in a circumstance like that. And so during my NYC year, I decided to do my NYC somewhere close to this lovely city of ours because I was dating a babe and I didn't want to be too far away from the person. I couldn't think I could stomach Lagos, but like I could live so close enough to Lagos that I don't experience the wild of Lagos, but then still be able to meet the person. So it was two for the price of one. Um, and as it turns out in Nigeria, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. So my friends knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who was in that same town where I was meant to be. And so the person, you know, offered to give me accommodation. And so we're making our way towards that particular destination. As we're entering town, was a lovely, like you could see the town was getting more beautiful and beautiful. And then we drove into this part of town, Jerry. It's like, my God, this is, this is, this is made. Like for one year, I'll be living in Jerry. And we drove into this house. It was hilltop, wide compound. I'm like, I don't even need the house. I'll take the BQ. I'll live in the BQ. Just give me the BQ. I was already happy. I was about to start unpacking from the car. And I said, ah, no, wait. It's not this house. It's our other house. But it's still Jerry. So I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that's, that's good. But so they took us, the assholes come and take us to the Jerry. Um, it so turns out that they allowed us to wait a little while in that house. I didn't know that it was going to be the last, you know, before we went to the place where we we're going. But we started driving, and I saw that the scenery started changing from beautiful to not so beautiful. But I'm like, it's still Jerry. So we got into the place, and then as we were about to enter, they pointed to the house. I saw chickens in front. <laughs> there were chickens roaming in the compound. I couldn't see the light. Like, the house was dark. The paint was faded. So I'm like, but it's still Jerry. Like, if this person is giving me their house, like, it's still going to be good, right? And then we opened the door. Brothers and sisters, children of God, there was no light in the house. Not only was there no light in the house, the sofas, it looked like they took, they, they froze the sofas in 1970s. <laughs> and then everybody else moved on with their life and everything was faded. The kitchen was done, but I'm like, I'm, I'm sure living in a room. So let's 
go to my room. When, they, when I open the door of the room, I just feel like if they gave me a pigsty and they gave me that room, a pigsty and that room, there's no difference. The problem was I had, I was serving with a friend, and so I told that friend, guy, I have accommodation for you. <laughs> so we're supposed to live together. <laughs> Let us put it like this. Me and that guy, we slept in the car that night. We tried to renovate that house. We did all we could. I think we stayed there for two months and we found somewhere else. We know the feeling of disappointment. And as Ezra is making his way to Jerusalem, he's thinking, yes, things might not be as great. Things might not be as bad. But like, it can't certainly be as bad as what I'm going to meet. So Ezra is looking forward to Jerusalem. But then he gets to Jerusalem and he sees that things are not quite the way that he thought they would be. Not only are things not quite the way that he thought they would be, they are worse than what he thought they would be. When he gets to Jerusalem, he sees that the people of God are not following God. And the way that the text tells us that Ezra finds out is not that there are idols all over the city. It's not that there are shrines all over the city. It's not that the people are killing themselves. It's that the people had intermarried with other people. And what Ezra wants us to see this morning, that just like a thermometer can tell us the temperature and, and of, our, of our skin and tell us whether we are sick or whether we are well, in the same way, marriage, our conception of marriage, whether we are married or what we are looking forward to in marriage, can actually tell us whether we are sick or whether we are well spiritually. You see, there's a quote that I love so much, and I think it captures the sentiment of what we are getting into in this text this morning. It's by a pastor named John Piper, and he says this, there has never been a generation whose general view of marriage is high enough. There has never been a generation whose general view of marriage is high enough. In other words, even when we look to the past, some of us look to the present and say, ah, people don't really value commitment. They don't value intimacy. They don't value all these things. They're not living in the way of God. Actually, it is that even in the past that we look to for some of our references that people haven't always lived out God's ideal for their marriage relationships. And so what we'll be looking at this morning is something I've called marriage matters. And I'm praying that whether you're married or single, whether you're sure or whether it's complicated, whether you're brokenhearted or whether you, everything is fine for you, that God will use this to reorient our lives to what he wants our marriages to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I just ask that we pray again? Lord, we ask that you help us as we look into your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You shouldn't drink hot tea when you're holding the mic. Anyhow, the first thing this text tells us this morning is settling for less. Settling for less. And you see it in verses 1 to 2. Can we just have it projected again so that I can read? He says, after these things had been done, the leaders came to me, that's to Ezra, and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices and enlist other nations. He said, they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. And we see the text and we see that the sin primarily is intermarrying. And some of you are wondering, like, isn't that racist? Maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe, and, and you're not a Christian, you're saying, that is exactly why I'm not a Christian, because Christianity is bigoted. Or maybe you're a teenager, 
Maybe you're a teenager. Maybe you're a teenager and you have questions about the Bible because your friends have been asking you, like, don't you belong to a bigoted religion? And you're like, this is exhibit A. Why will God say people of a certain race shouldn't marry other people of a certain race? Well, actually, it's not about race. It's not about race because what Ezra is doing here and the text is showing us is that actually God had given them a command several centuries earlier. And you can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 3 to 4. Here's what he says. He says, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. And so it seems like we're still talking about race here. But actually verse 4 clarifies. He says, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. And so we see here that the issue is not about racial compatibility. The issue is not about preserving the holy race. The issue is actually about preserving true worship to the living God. In other words, the marriages of the people of Israel were meant to signify something else. And God was saying if they married other people, it would actually cause them to deviate from that plan. But the text doesn't tell us why they chose to marry other people. But we can hazard a few guesses. Some of you remember in 2019, there was um, Fowles and I think it was Leila Salami, I think. They were doing a couple of um, interviews with candidates, presidential candidates at the time. And so they interviewed several people, um, Donald Duke, they interviewed some other people. And they interviewed this gentleman whose name I cannot remember now and is irrelevant for our discussion. But they asked him, what is the problem with Nigeria? They asked this gentleman. And the gentleman said, the problem with Nigeria is pressure. Pressure. That's the problem with Nigeria. And I think for the people of Israel at the time, if you ask them, the problem is pressure. It could be religious pressure. It is that they've come back from this land where they were exiled for a number of years. And they've come to this place. And then they see other people who are worshiping God in a different way. And those people are more than them, and so they are looking like, hmm, shouldn't we copy those people? Shouldn't we be like those people? And so they, they bow to religious pressure. Or maybe it's social pressure. Because back in those days, people were actually really strict along religious lines. And so what it meant was that those other people of other religions or other ethnicities couldn't invite the people of Israel to their own parties. They couldn't go for their naming ceremonies. They couldn't go for their um, bridal showers. They couldn't go for all those other things. And so the Israelites are thinking, mm, if we're actually going to survive in this society, we should intermarry so that we can be socially connected. Or maybe it's economic pressure. You see, what usually happens is that when people have been exiled, they don't have any money to come back to. They don't have anything in their hand. The houses they've had in that former land, they can't bring it back with them. They can't put it on a ship or on a plane to bring it back with them. These people are actually having to start their lives from the scratch. There are no schools for their children to go to. There are no, there's no shop for them to shop. And so if they really have to be connected to the people around them, they have to sort of go along with them. And so they settle for less. They settle for less than God had in mind for them. And friends, isn't it the same with us that often in our marriage relationships or in our conception of what marriage is or how marriage should be for us, whether we are married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, or whether you're advising somebody else, is that we often settle for less. Like the people of Israel, in the same way that they felt under pressure, sometimes we also feel under pressure. For some of us who are unmarried, or maybe you're dating, there could be religious pressure. 
We've been told that people who are married are the ones who display the love of Christ to his church. And so if you're not married, you actually don't have, your life is not really, really, really complete. Yes, Jesus loves you and all that, but you're not really complete. And so if, if I really want to live up to this ideal of what it means to be a true Christian, then let me marry. But then some of us, it's also the social pressure. There is nothing like going for your best friend's wedding to pressurize you into getting married. Some of you have gone for your younger sibling's wedding, and then everybody's greeting you, and they're saying like, ah, Tiano Adele, you know, your own will come. Or maybe they even, maybe it's even worse. They ask you, so when is the date? And you're like, I never have anybody. I haven't met anybody. Social pressure. But maybe for some of us, it's also economic pressure. It is that, oh, my man, my, my income is tanking. How can I afford rent? Prices of things are skyrocketing. How can I, you know, make meaning out of my life? Let me just look for somebody. This guy is earning well. He's a tech bro. He's earning in dollars. Oh, my, let me just, economic pressure. But let me add one more that I think is also a thing. Biological pressure. The clock is ticking. It's like, when am I going to have my own kids? When are my parents going to be grandparents? When am I going to be able to make something out of my life? And you see, we bow to this pressure, but what we are doing actually, when we are bound to pressure, is that we are settling for less than God intended. Friends, God has so much more in store for us in our lives. The plans and dreams for, for, for ourselves that God has is so bigger and far beyond all that we could ever conceive of our own minds. And when we look at the things that are in front of us, when we allow those things to determine the marital choices we make in marriage, outside of marriage, we are ultimately settling for less. And so if you are married, here are things, four questions I think you need to think about. Pastor Femi has these four questions Toki did a disservice of quoting me last week, but I'm a man under authority, so I have to redeem that. And so here are four big questions <laughs> by Pastor Femi. One, do you believe the same thing? And by believe the same thing here, it's not just, oh, do we have the same, like, economic outlook? Do we, no, no, no. It's, are you both Christians? That is the starting point of the conversation. Because just like the people of Israel, if you're intermarrying, you're basically saying, eh, God, yes, God is great, but God is not the most important thing to me, and so I can do whatever I like with my life. God's plans and purposes for marriage is not ultimately what really matters, and so I can hook up with somebody else. But actually, the, the most fundamental thing you need to think about, do we believe the same thing? Secondly, do we believe the same thing the same way? And so some people have, you know, there's this great guy, you know, I love him, but he doesn't believe in speaking in tongues. In fact, he actively converses against people speaking in tongues. And me, I really believe I need to scabash to, you know, keep my spiritual energy. No, actually, do you believe the same thing the same way? Third, do you radically love each other? Because let me tell you, if you don't know, you can ask the married people around you. The people that they marry you know, they don't always wake up with makeup on their face. I'm just saying. The lovely wigs that they wear. Let's not talk about that. But, and for the guys too, I, I have a lovely family member. He's a great person. But if you are two rooms away from him when he's sleeping, you will hear the generator from his stomach sounding. 
And so the question is, is not, do you, are you looking for somebody that you can walk the red carpet with? You see, some of us, when we are thinking about when the spouse that we want, you want somebody that you can take pictures with. You want someone that, man, looks good on the gram. You know, and you just hug and say, blessed. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. But you see, love is more than just what the person looks like. Love is more than just how the person makes you feel. Do you radically love the other person? You need to be able to say, I am so mad at you, and at the same time I'm so mad at you, I really can't do without you. That has to be the way that you think about the person. Do you radically love each other? And four, do you align on the big questions? Do you align on the big questions or the big things? And here... You often meet people who are dating, and it's like this girl wants to go abroad for her master's, and she wants to work with the UN, and she doesn't want to do anything with Nigeria. You, on the other hand, you want to develop Yabakon Valley. <laughs> and it's like, how, how, are we, like, how are we going to make that work? Like, from, from the get-go, that is a non-starter. And friends, these four questions are really important, and it is zero-sum. It is all or nothing. It is not, oh, we have three out of four, 75%, so we can make it work. It's not, oh, there's this one, we're almost sort of, you know, getting alignment. You know, it's that you actually have to agree on these four things. Yes, yeah, not everything, but I think this is a good starter when you're thinking about being with someone. Let's not settle for less. I like the way a Christian psychologist named Deborah Filetta says it. She says, fix your eyes on Jesus and the plans he has for your life. Look ahead and run after him with all your heart. Then look around. Whoever has kept up with you, marry that person. The problem oftentimes is that we are so mindful of the present, whereas God has vast oceans ahead for us in the future. Don't settle for less. I, I, I always feel like begging my sisters and brothers in church, like, guys, this thing, yes, all of these things, there's a pressure, there's all of those things around, but please don't settle for less. The problem with the children of Israel was that they couldn't see themselves as God saw them. God saw them as his own people who had been chosen. They were meant to show his glories throughout the world. And they were just like, we're just like any other nation. So we can just hook up with anybody that we see around. And God is saying the same thing exactly to brothers and sisters here. You are God's chosen people. You are God's holy nation. God has selected you by his own eternal love for you to do something with your life. Don't settle to be cheap. Don't settle for less. But you see, this is not just something that has to do with unmarried people. It's also something that has to do with married people as well. In God's providence, I'll be married now for about seven years in December. And I can tell you what can happen in those seven years. Yeah, we won't divorce. Yeah, amen, amen. <laughs> But, like, you can literally get to a point where it's like, yeah, we won't divorce. That's what we'll, we'll settle for that. We won't shout in front of the kids. We'll settle for that. We'll send our kids to good schools. We'll settle for that. And the truth, friends, is that when we as married people settle for the bare minimum, what we are ultimately saying is that we don't trust God enough, that the plans he has in store for us is far greater than anything we can conceive. 
Don't settle for less. Here's a good exercise that I think married people can do. Every once in a while, set up a family meeting with your spouse. Every month. And just check, how are things with us? How are we doing? Those goals we set at the beginning of the year, or those things that we thought about when we're getting married, how are we doing with those things now? And it can be an occasion for you guys to exchange thoughts and say, I've been talking to you about this thing for a long time, and, and it seems like you're not listening. It seems like you're not paying attention. And God can actually use that as a, what's that thing that he used to start somebody's dead heart? Whatever. God can use it to actually bring you back to life, to jumpstart. Thank you, Olive. God can use it to jumpstart the battery of your marriage again. Don't settle for less, friends. Anytime we settle for less, we're ultimately saying we don't trust the plans that God has in store for us. And so we see the children of Israel here settling for less. But if we settle for less, the good news is that God can help us aim for more. And so the second point is aiming for more. We see that with Ezra here. I don't know if you have a friend that is overdramatic. You have that one friend where it's like, you know, you're, you had a flat tire and the person just, oh my God, the world has ended. You're like, no, wait, wait, it's just flat tire. Like, it's not that big a deal. Or somebody that everybody is thinking a certain way and their own emotions are just like at a hundred. So I have this family member, very emotional uncle of mine. Um, and so somebody had lost, one of, one of my uncles had lost their child. And so this person was supposed to come and comfort them through their loss. Everybody's sitting down. They've told him, guy, <laughs> I think that was the first mistake. They shouldn't even have brought him. It's like, guy, calm down, calm down. They are getting better. Don't make it worse. The guy walks in. He doesn't even say, well, just lift up. <laughs> As in my dad, I say, just take him out. Take him out. Get him out of here. <laughs> And we can get to verse 3, and we see Ezra crying. Like, Ezra sees them intermarrying, and Ezra tears his clothes, he removes his shirt, he pulls his hair, he removes his bed, and he's sitting down upon him like, guy, calm down. It's, 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 it's not that serious. But actually, Ezra tells us it is that serious. It is so serious, friends, that we need to be grieved anytime we see sin, and anytime we see its implications in society around us. We need to be people who are moved by what's going on around us. We shouldn't just be people who have been so inoculated against all the things that are happening around us. I mean, you see the injustices, you see broken marriages, you see things that are going on and you're like, yeah. The right reaction, friends, is that we need to be moved by the things happening around us. And Ezra tells us how this happens. In verse 4, it says that Ezra was doing this, and those who came around him were those who trembled at the word of God. Do you see, friends, the way for us to recover the right emotions, whether it's about marriage, whether it's about social injustice, whether it's about political development, is that we have to be people who tremble at the word of God. We have to be people who are moved by the word of God. We have to be people who are so in sync with the word of God that we feel the emotions of God. And Israel is like, guys, this is terrible. He tears his clothes. He rips apart his garment. He removes his hair. He pulls his beard. That must have been very painful. But Israel is like, no, the pain I feel is nothing compared to the pain God feels and what you guys are doing. You see, friends, we always have to make sure that sin is always horrible to us. I like what a writer named David Wells says. He says, worldliness is what makes sin look normal in any age. 
and righteousness seem odd. Boldness is what makes sin look normal in any age and righteousness seem odd. The question for you, friends, this morning is where are you being worldly? Where are you being out of sync with what God is saying and where are you not feeling the emotions of God? And the answer to that, friends, is that we need to repent. We need to recover repentance. We need to recover what God's ideal is. And we see Ezra do this for us in two particular ways in this passage. If we want to aim for more, we need to recover God's ideal. The first is we have to recover a bigger commitment. We have to recover a bigger commitment. And so we get to verses 5 to 7, and we see Ezra doing something. It's a little bit of a strange thing. Ezra has been moved. Ezra has felt the emotions, but Ezra then goes ahead to pray. And when he's praying, Ezra is basically confessing sin that he hasn't participated in. And you're like, no, no, Ezra, you didn't intermarry now. I get, you feel bad for them. They didn't realize, but which one is your own? You didn't intermarry now. Why are you, why are you, why are you making it so hard? But actually, Ezra is showing us, and Ezra is doing something here that we see done across the Bible in different places. You see that with Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 1. You see that with Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. I don't have time. We won't look into it. But the, what you see often in the Bible is that the people of God are so in sync with the emotions of God that they recognize not only the sin that is happening around, but also their own place in enabling that sin or in participating in that sin. And Ezra is recovering a bigger commitment because what Ezra is saying to us essentially is that this is not just a case of me versus them. This is a case of us. This marriage thing, guys, is not just about you in your own privacy and what you are doing. It's about us as the people of God. And can I just say to us, friends, in the same way, we are going to aim for more in our marriage relationships. If we are going to aim for more in the things that God has called us to do in our, in our marital relationships, our romantic relationships, we have to, we have to recover a bigger commitment. We have to see that our relationship is not just about us, about the person we love. It's about the community of the people of God. And something Pastor Femi always says, I thought it was me actually that said it until I listened to a sermon he preached yesterday um, in 2018. And I saw that, oh, I'm a good listener. I had picked it. And here's what he said. He said, your marriage is personal but it's not private. Your marriage is personal, but it's not private. What you are doing in the secrecy of your house, what you are doing in the secrecy of your bedroom actually affects more people than you care to think about. Your marriage is personal, but it's not private. And so, friends, we have to think about the bigger thing that God has called us to do. We have to recover a bigger commitment. Your marriage is about the community of the people of God, or it affects the community of the people of God. And so just to be able to help us do this, here are two things that I think we can do better. We should invite wise counsel and we shouldn't hide our relationships. Invite wise counsel and don't hide your relationships. What do I mean by invite wise counsel? Toki always says, I'm returning the favor. <laughs> Toki always says that there is nothing more evil than the advice that whatever is happening in your house, don't let other people hear. And I sort of get where that sentiment is coming from. It's coming from too many people choking out, you know, giving you bad advice. And then you hear at the end, the marriage has scattered or the relationship is no longer working out. And it's really because people gave bad advice. But actually, the truth is that sometimes in a bit to run away from one bad excess, we run 
to the other extreme. And, and what God has shown us, friends, is that we are not just individuals on our own, doing our own thing. God has placed us in community. And often what that means in that, in that community, there are people who have gone ahead of you, who are wiser, who know more things. Invite wise counsel from them. Invite people who have gone ahead in their marriages and ask them, hey, what can I do to make this better? Ask people who are involved around you, what can I do to make things better? Whether you are somebody who is dating, whether you are somebody who is married. My wife and I have this problem. What can I do to make things better? Invite wise counsel. But secondly, don't hide your relationship. Your marriage is personal, but it's not private. In other words, it is lived out in community. And so what that means practically is if you are dating someone, don't, don't let your GC members or your GC leader or somebody you are close to in church be finding out when you've printed the IV. <laughs> you see where that's coming from. Don't, don't let them find out when you've printed the IV. Don't let them find out when you guys have made the decision. Let it be that as you are walking along, let them guide you, let them help you. Because marriage often is like wearing, um, love often is like putting on shades. And you actually don't know what's going on. You actually cannot see clearly. And you need other people to be able to say, this thing that you think is gray is actually black. Run away from it. You need other people to be able to say, this thing actually is not as serious as you think. I think you are the person who is the problem here. Invite wise counsel, but then don't hide your relationship from others. Recover a bigger commitment. Your marriage is personal, but it is not private. But the second thing we should do when we want to aim for more is recover a bigger picture. Recover a bigger picture. You see that in verses 11 and 12. For the sake of time, let me just read verse 12 alone. It says in verse 12, Therefore do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them at any time that you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an inheritance. That you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an inheritance. That you may be strong and eat the good things of the land and leave it to your children as an inheritance. What does this mean? It means that God wants our marriage to be a primary vehicle for which he brings about renewal. That you may be strong, so personal. And this is a good gauge for those of us who are married. You need to be asking yourself, is this person I've married a better version of themselves because they've been married to me? Or are they a worse version of themselves because they've been married to me? Your marriage relationship, for those of us who are aspiring and thinking about it, has to be the kind of environment that enables personal renewal, personal growth, that you may be strong. But he says also that you may eat the good of the land. In other words, it is also social. That your marriage relationship, whether you are married or whether you are aspiring to get married, should be something that brings about growth and life in the community where you, where you are found. That you should be the kind of couple that people look at and say, because of these guys, I can aspire better. Because of these guys, I can think of marriage better. Because of these guys, I can become more juicy, personal, social, but actually it's also generational. It says that you may leave your children an inheritance. And when he's talking about inheritance, he's not just talking about, oh, we left money for them. We left a trust for them. Those are good things. But actually, he's talking about a legacy. And Pastor Femi spoke very much about this during our recently concluded series on parenting. That you have to be thinking about giving your children a legacy. So there's personal, there's social, there's generational. In other words, marriage is for mission. Marriage is for mission. 
marriage is not just about the two of you. It's not just about Emmanuel and Pelumi. It is about something grand and so much bigger and so much better. Have you ever thought, what was the state of Isaac and Rebecca's marriage that daddy favored Esau, mommy favored Jacob, and both of them were plotting things in a way to favor the other children? What was the state of their marriage? Yes, we lambast Jacob a lot, and we should do that, but I, I, I want to know. Because when you start, when their marriage begins, we are told that they didn't have children for 20 years. And it was on account of Isaac praying for Rebecca that God visited her and she conceived. And so it seemed like things were very good at the beginning. Things were very great at the start. But somewhere along the line, Isaac and Rebecca had become so disconnected that one person thought, no, no, it has to be this child. Another person thought it had to be that child. And somehow they couldn't get it back together. We have to recover a bigger picture as we aim for more. So let me just give you another practical way that we can do this. I think, I, 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 it's not a revelation from God, but I think every marriage should have a mission statement. And you can do this simply, just pray, fast a little bit if you can. Pray and close your door and just open Microsoft Word for two hours and just think. And, and ask God to show you things. Every marriage should have a mission statement. So you write out your mission statement. And then you take that mission statement, you think about it again. Okay, so this mission statement, so say for instance, Emmanuel and Pelumi, we want to be, um, we believe that God has called us to be stewards, and that means that we should love other people and serve one another well, something like that. Um, and so you think about, okay, so what key values, based on this mission statement, what key values do we need to actually flesh this out. And so say you come up with three. You come up with, um, we should communicate well. So communication is a key value for us. We should live in communication. Integrity is one. We won't hide things from each other. We will live openly plain lives. I won't, I won't be hiding my phone password from you because I don't want to see the text I sent yesterday. All of those kind of things. Um, generosity, say that's another value. And so you, you distill those three values or how, as many values as you think, but don't let it be too many based on the mission statement. Then you think about what practices can you do to actually make those key values expressed in your marriage. And when you're thinking about practices, think about them in terms of days, weeks, months, and year. Days, weeks, months, and year. Are we tracking along together? So mission statement, key values based on the mission statement, Practices based on the values. And then you now think about how you want to express those out. So take, for instance, daily. Daily means that we pray together every day. It can be something as simple as that. We do that every day. Weekly means that we spend some more extended time tracking with what has been going on throughout the course of the week. And so we give each other a download. Oh, there was this thing I, I didn't remember to tell you about. There was this other thing that I didn't remember to tell you about. Oh, but there was something that you did. And so you do that weekly. Monthly, we have a longer meeting, family meeting, um, maybe we'll do a date night if we feel like we have money. If we don't have money, well, praise the Lord, we can do a date night with Netflix on the laptop in our room. Um, you know, so practices like that monthly. And then annually, you can decide, oh, we want to spend some time together, 24 hours uninterrupted. I'm giving some of the things that we do. We're going to spend 24 hours uninterrupted together. Do you see? What you are doing at that moment is that you are setting yourself to recover the big picture that God has in store for you. 
if we are aiming for more, we have to recover a bigger commitment. It's not just about us. But we have to recover a bigger picture to enable us to fulfill what God has in mind for us. So you settle for less. Aim for more. But actually, the last thing we see in this passage is getting the best. Getting the best. And I'm aware that as I was speaking, or maybe some of you just saw the sermon poster today, you're like, you weren't very happy to come to church. Or maybe you're a single person and you're like, my God, let the singles breathe. <laughs> maybe there are some of you here, you hate rainy season. You hate rainy season because everybody shouts about weather for two, weather for two, weather for two. <laughs> like, I definitely cannot get that body warmth from my teddy bear. Um, there are some of you sisters that as you grow older, particularly single ladies, it's getting harder to dress up by yourself, to zip up your clothes, because you're not as nimble as you used to be. Some of you brothers, you have been scarred by rejection. You remember every time people talk about marriage and relationships, you remember all the times people have said no to you, all the relationships that didn't work out. Some of you here, sisters, brothers, you are divorced. And so thinking about marriage is a little bit traumatic because you remember the choices that you didn't make well or people who made other choices that affected you and impacted you. And here you are, through no fault of yours, divorced, alone, single. Or maybe some of you, the people you are married to don't actually work with Jesus. And so it's hard to, these things that you're hearing today, it's hard to connect them and leave them out. Or maybe there are some of you that your marriage relationship is actually, eh, it's not bad, but you just feel like you're stuck in a rut and, and it's not working as well as it used to be. The truth is, wherever you are in all these different things I've mentioned, you can still get the best. And how, how, how can you get the best? Because you see, ultimately, when we are, Getting married to someone when we are seeking a relationship with someone, when we are trying to be connected with some, to someone, what we are really looking for is somebody that knows us and loves us the way we are. What we are ultimately looking for is somebody that feels connected to us. In fact, in verse 12, it tells us that God was saying to these people, the Israelites, that the reason why you want to connect with these people is because you are looking for a treaty of friendship. You are looking for somebody who knows you and loves you and accepts you and, and there is no feeling of rejection. But what God shows actually and what the scripture shows that ultimately, even if your marriage is the best marriage in life, there are times when you feel disconnected from people you love. There are times when you feel like we're on different planets, like that book says. There are times where you feel like actually we don't connect. We don't like, this whole thing is a scam. Who told me to get married again? And usually we feel that way because we feel like the other person actually doesn't really want us. Or the other person actually says they want us, but they're not acting like they want us. But God actually has something better. You see, in this same passage of ours, in verse 8, listen to what it says. When Ezra is praying 
to God and he's crying out to God on behalf of the people of God. He says, but now for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief in our bondage. Did you catch that? That the reason why God was doing all of these things, taking care of his people, leading them out, protecting them, providing for them, leading all of these things was so that they could have a firm place in his sanctuary. In other words, God wants to connect with you more than you want to be connected to him. God wants you more than you want him. God loves you more than you love him. And the answer to all that our hearts are longing for in our marriage relationships, the, the answer to all that we're looking forward to when we're hooking up with people, when we're looking for a fiance, we're looking for someone that loves us, whether you're talking stage, exclusive stage, I just found that out, or you are in dating stage, the answer to all of those things is God. But you know the story of the people of Israel. It's actually that, yes, they end up building this temple, but actually it wasn't a place of meeting between them and God. It wasn't a firm sanctuary anymore because the people walked away. And at one point it seemed like for hundreds of years, it seemed like God wasn't even saying anything. There was a disconnect. But then we get to John chapter 1. And it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was with God. He was God in the beginning. And so it feels like, eh, I know, but there's still that disconnect. There is no connection between us and God. But ah, verse 14 says actually that that same word now became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. You see, when he says he made his dwelling amongst us, he's using that same word where we get the word temple or tabernacle from. In other words, Jesus now becomes that meeting place, that dwelling place where people who have felt disconnected, people whose marriages haven't worked out, people whose relationships haven't lived up to the expectation can now have a firm sanctuary in his presence. No wonder. When Matthew is writing about the account of Jesus' birth, he calls him Jesus. Yes, he says because he will save his people from their sins. And that's a very, very true reality, friends, that Jesus delivers us from our sins. But ah, there's something better. Because it says in Matthew that actually that when God does all of these things, it was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah says. He says that in verse 23 of Matthew, 20, of Matthew 1, he says that the virgin will conceive and they'll call him Emmanuel which means God with us. And ultimately, friends, that is the answer to the longing of our marriage. Some of you were wondering at the beginning, when we say marriage matters, is it the matters of marriage or is it that marriage is important? And as you're thinking about that, you're like, yeah, the title is complicated. It's complicated like my marriage relationship. It's complicated like my relationship status. But actually what we find here is that there is one who is God with us. And so as you go through your singleness, friends, as we are praying, as we are hoping, as we are looking forward to God to give us that which we are asking him for, as we are asking him to renew our marriages, as we are bringing the matters of our marriage before him, as we are bringing the issues that concern our hearts before him, as we are looking forward to getting remarried, for some of you who are looking forward to getting married, this is the truth that you can build your life on, that God is with you. And he wants you more than you want him. Let's bow down our heads as we pray. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, 
We hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City